0: EdTech Innovators, lockdown special. Thought for a change we could start our podcast when I do my run, my daily run, to try to break the monotony of the lockdown. So what's your routine at the moment? I try to exercise just once a day, as Bojo advised, but sometimes I do break the rules a little bit. I exercise twice, shh, don't tell anyone, don't shop me to the police. And um, the good thing is you can hear the birds singing a bit more now, can't you? A bit more because it's uh, a lot quieter. Right, off I go. That was my run. It's only about 1,500 metres with a 200 metre sprint at the end. But it keeps me going. And now I'm going to do half an hour workout with my youngest son. And then we'll start the podcast. This week on EdTech Innovators, we're going to take a sideways look at the whole issues of EdTech, innovation and creativity. We'll start with Michael Heverin. Michael left his job as a senior teacher and started SupplyWell, an ethical education and supply agency. So, uh, hi Michael.
1: Hi, great to see that, be with you Pete. I think... A little bit about supply. Well, we always talk about the why. Why are we doing it? And fundamentally, as someone who's worked in schools as a teacher and a leader over a period of time, the why for me is um, how do we keep money in our education system because there's too much of it leaving under the current model um, of recruitment? Um, how do we keep teachers in the classroom teaching happy because there's too many of them leaving within the current model of education? Um, And how does that ultimately, by reducing costs and increasing retention, um, how does that ultimately increase opportunities for social mobility and increase attainment of young people within our schools?
0: Yeah, excellent. So um, a little bit later, uh, after, well, I've, I met your uh, um, partner, um, Dan, your business partner, Dan, who is the um, more techy person uh, who is developing the app or helping develop the app. Um, so obviously, without being too techy, because that, that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is really about education. But um, what's, where are you now with with this app that you're developing, and what might that, how might that help this situation where so much money is being drained from um, where it should be in education?
1: The app, the app just acts as a facilitator for us in terms of allowing um, a transparent model to be to be rolled out to schools who currently um, are being overcharged by traditional agencies and supply teachers who are going into schools are being significantly underpaid. The app allows us um, to, uh, to keep money in education system by paying the teachers more and charging the schools less. Um, the the app will be the first version of the app, or the second version of the app, actually, because um, we have a, a an MVP beta version. Um, but the, the the kind of go live version of the app will be at the end of March, um, and then from there we'll uh, we'll be looking to to roll that out to to all of our teachers and schools um, to to ultimately help them to fundamentally reduce their costs, primarily. Um, and along with that, it will um, it will also be a huge time saver for schools as well, and and it gives autonomy and it gives um, it gives ownership back to the schools and back to the teachers as well. They can control the calendars. The school can browse the teachers at their free leisure, um, and it, it you know it's a win-win situation for all parties as well. But most importantly, it's a win for for the students as well in terms of the the wraparound care and wellbeing that we put in place for our partner schools to make sure as I said before that we work with schools to reduce absenteeism in the first place there's a, an awful lot of absence within education that is preventable so how can we help to work with schools to reduce that absenteeism therefore reduce the costs increase those the retention of those teachers teaching happy in the classroom which again Increases the opportunities for for positive outcomes and social mobility of young people
0: Isn't it fascinating that really would you agree that for the first time these conversations about how technology can help in education Are starting to be about how you actually will succeed in saving money and improve people's well-being Is it fair to say that that hasn't really been the case until quite recently? I think tech can act as a solution
1: for a whole host of things within education It's tiered. The the quality of teaching and learning is always the most important thing that takes place in the classroom, and tech will never replace that. We can use tech to help facilitate um, people to be able to teach and learn to the best of their abilities. Something that um, Sir John Dunford says is um, you should never, ever, um, uh, you should never, ever um, dilute the quality of teaching and learning that takes place in the classroom now if you have a member of staff who's worried about a medical appointment or a sick relative or their dog is ill or whatever it may be a learning walk a scrutiny they're having a tricky time for whatever reason if they're worried about that and they're not present in the classroom you've diluted the quality of teaching that takes place and therefore the quality of learning is also uh, impacted negatively so if through, through our tech and through our wraparound care with schools, if we can work with those teachers to alleviate and act as a pressure valve for some of those, those members of staff, um, then we can help the presenteeism within the classroom. Um, what we don't want is a situation where teachers are burdened with pressures and stress. The quality of teaching and learning is then diluted. And if a member of staff ultimately goes off with a long-term absence due to a work-related stress or mental health problem, the quality of teaching and learning is completely eroded. And, and that has huge knock-on impacts over time and, and on, on the outcomes of young people. And that's fundamentally what we're driving to, to change in terms of the tech and, and how, that, how that works. It's not a solution, it helps us to support schools to be able to make sure that ultimately and fundamentally the, the, the why of why schools exist is to, to help young people achieve. Mm. And if we can help facilitate the why through a piece of tech, then
0: absolutely let's do it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes I think um, in commerce, really the word solutions is very often used as a, a catch-all word, is it not? Um, so really for me, solutions very often means systems. And in education, as we know, these systems can sometimes be um, at the expense of uh, what schools do so well, which is help kids. They can get in the way of um, Teachers' development and growth as, as, as a person, as, as a profession, um, and it's nice that you, you were thinking about you know, how this would actually help um, retention and recruitment and, and well-being first before thinking about the the actual you know solution in inverted commas you know the actual system. Um, I mean, for me, that seems like a a game changer. It seems that you know one of the things that I'm so excited about is that we, this seems to be a sort of tipping point here. We're, about, we're on the verge of something um, really. Um, I don't want to use the word revolutionary, but I suppose um, I don't want to use the phrase paradigm shift either, but certainly uh, very, very different and very, very positive in the way that we're approaching how technology can help and as a tool, not as the be-all and end-all.
1: I think, as you say there, it's a facilitator. I think there's certainly a sea change in the way that companies operate in terms of the transparency of certain companies, and um, I think it helps in terms of having a social purpose and a a moral ethos that, that you're anchored to and tied to very Very heavily, I think that's something that will never leave us. And coming directly out of the classroom into into the big, the big wide world, and not a small ecosystem of a school, I think that allows us to carry our values with us and drive us forward. Um, The fact that um, the fact that so many schools are at a point where budget restrictions um, and budget cuts are causing such issues for them. Something that we firmly believe in, we're we're a huge advocate of support staff within schools, um, and through the local um, educator awards, we sponsor the um, the uh, uh, the support staff superstar award. Um, and when you look and when you work in schools, usually if there's cuts that have to be made, support staff usually are the ones who who you know are on the guillotine first of all. And, and I think from my perspective, they're the lifeblood of schools. They're the, they're the people within the schools that that currently can act as a pressure valve for some staff to alleviate the pressures that they have by sharing a load with them. Um, And if those people are being cut out of the education system, then that obviously just loads the pressure onto, you know, people have to do more with less. Mm. The the kind of savings that we put in place for schools when they engage with us long-term strategically through engagement with the wellbeing services that we have through the wraparound care, the kind of savings we put in place equate to the salary of a supply, uh, a support member of staff, and that's something that we encourage and we, you know, we shout from the rooftop, rooftops, look after your staff, because the benefits of that are absolutely huge, you know, and and that comes from um, Patrick O'Connor who is um, a fantastic guy, one of our advisors. He always says, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first, so you know you can help others, um, and that has to be modelled from the top. If the school leadership team um, don't look after themselves and don't openly look after their own mental health well-being um, then who's looking after theirs mm-hmm. because the trickle-down effect of them being mentally strong in and in an open kind of environment where there's no stigma or shame mm-hmm. to talking about your mental health how do you expect the teachers to be able to do that there's a huge push to student mental health well-being and why isn't there rightly so absolutely yeah. but What's the point in having your student body population um, knowing all about their mental well-being and, and how important that is when your school staff are walking around like zombies and unable to cope? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a, a more joined-up approach that needs to be put in place, I think, from, um, from an educational perspective. Um, and, and I think that from a school leadership perspective as well, that really helps when we have progressive leaders um, who understand the value of openness Um, within
0: within their schools true openness
1: yeah true openness you know it's um, true openness leads to autonomy I think and trust Um, and you know that's something within schools from talking to lots and lots of teachers over a long period of time that that school teachers will often complain about that they they feel they don't have an autonomy which you know can be debilitating over a long period of time so it's about working with schools as well, not just from an economic argument. Yes, absolutely, there is a huge economic argument for, for engaging with what we do at Supply SupplyWell, but as I've said, it boils down to much more than that. Um, it's about how do we work with our schools, and we are working with our schools, about looking at their culture and environment and, and, and how we work with them to, to help create an environment that people can thrive in more openly. Yeah.
0: Wonderful And as you might have noticed Michael the, uh, th- This podcast is really about Having genuine conversations About education Obviously the EdTech thing Is just a, a theme It's just a framing device Isn't it uh, But it's really about education uh, And we will continue This conversation In about three weeks time At a mental health And wellbeing event In, in Liverpool uh, Before we uh, wrap this up For now um, How would you like Things to have developed Then over the next Three weeks Or in the next, over the next Six months maybe In terms of uh, what, you're, what you want to achieve With uh, SupplyWell
1: I think where we are at the moment we're, we're growing organically I think we're in a position where um, we, we, we as I said before we've got an ethos and we've got a strong moral purpose and I think the more that we we communicate that and we have meaningful conversations with schools and, and influential people within education within the region and beyond um, I think what we've noticed is that more and more people are, are kind of are, are getting on board with that and seeing the value in terms of what it is that we're looking to achieve I think um, we, we just want to make sure that first of all that schools aren 't being taken advantage of, and, and what we do day in day out is to make sure that schools aren 't taken advantage of supply teachers are not taken advantage of that they 're paid fairly for what they do. We never want to devalue the education profession. Um, we put qualified teachers into schools. Um,
0: can I just interrupt you there so we, we both know do we not, that some supply teachers are paid as little as £70 a day aren't they
1: yeah. oh absolutely yeah um, and you're getting, you're getting vastly experienced teachers top of the pay scope been teaching for 20 odd years yeah. who fall out of the profession who then will take on supply roles because they don't know any better in terms of w- w- what it is that they should be paid and will yeah. take home somewhere in the region of 70 to £80 a day mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think an, an, another aspect is as well, is that the education profession can be devalued because um, a, a lot of um, traditional agencies will put cover supervisors into schools. Now, you know, with all due respect to cover supervisors, they're not trained teachers. They don't have teaching experience, they don't have the toolkit that teachers have and work incredibly hard to get. You'd never put, um, if a GP's off, you wouldn't put a GP supervisor in place Mm. you'd put a doctor yes. in there. So why, why are we doing that with education? You know, yeah. There has to be, um, you know, you go into a school, there has to be a teacher in front of those mm. students. Mm. And, and that's kind of the driver for us. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to do this. And um, as we said, we will continue this conversation um, in about three weeks and two days' time. So thanks again, Michael. Thanks, Pete. Looking forward to it. Next up, a reminder of happier times. Just two months ago, when the Excel Centre in London was home to the BET show. And I had a great chat with many people, including Jonathan Sullivan from Britannica Online Digital Learning. Okay, I'm with Jonathan Sullivan from Britannica Digital Learning. Um, and he's going to talk you through a really interesting platform that they've got uh, for teaching and learning. Um.
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. So we're excited to, uh, to launch at Better Botanica launch packs. Uh, so this is building on our two hundred and fifty years of history of content that we have uh, that we're able to use within the education sector. And we've uh, worked really closely with the Shirelands uh, Multi Academy Trust and Sir Mark Grundy uh, to develop. Uh, lesson plans covering Key Stage 4 initially for History and Geography and we focus on these to begin with because often we're finding that uh, it's more than not it's humanities teachers mm-hmm. that are often having to, to teach subjects that aren't their speciality yeah. and there's a lot of challenges associated with that mm-hmm. uh, and we're looking to meet those by creating these ready-made lesson plans that they can access uh, that takes, uh, takes advantage of all mm-hmm. of the content we provide at Britannica mm-hmm. and gives the teachers more time to spend engaged with the students giving them the tools uh, to teach their students and get their students more digital literate yeah. um, with some of the content that we're, we're able to provide.
0: Yeah, so um, we talked about this before we started recording, uh, didn't we, Jonathan? So it's, it's that sort of departure from that sort of tired old digital natives debate, isn't it? It's that assumption that because kids are kids, because they're young, they know how to use technology, right?
2: Yeah, and there's this expectation that kids nowadays are digital literate. You know, they're just able to pick everything up and, and, and they're fine with that. And, and while they know how to use iPads and games and they, they are comfortable using the internet, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're ready for going through their academic life in terms of using some of the resources yeah. that are now available to them. And exactly the same goes for teachers. You know, yeah. There's this expectation on teachers. All of this, particularly at Bet, you see all of this new tech, all of these new software that can enhance a learning experience but it's the poor old teacher that has to suddenly find the ways of of utilizing this Mm. in the best way in the classroom
0: yeah i mean just coming at it from the teacher's point of view one, one thing that i find is that um there may be training laid on but that's that's rarely sustained and it's really about sort of mindset as well, that sort of growth mindset, if you like, that, uh, that teachers need, uh, that sort of nimbleness that they need to develop those skills, that they can, they can use these technologies and embrace them and make them work for them. Um, that's, I think, still lacking uh, considerably.
2: Yeah, it, it is, absolutely. And one of the things that we've really focused on is making this easy for the teacher that, you know. What we didn't want to do is, is, is create stuff that teachers are going to have to go around and, and look for. And we also wanted to recognise the fact that teachers, even within one class, will have very, uh, maybe have different levels of students' learning ability mm. that they're going to have to cater for. And often in the past, it's evolved teachers' to look for different learning resources for a particular topic area mm. to make sure that they're covering the different learners' needs within that particular class. And that's a laborious task for teachers. Yeah. Within the Britannica Launch Packs, uh, what we have is we have the ability to, dif- to differentiate. So there's different learning and reading levels w- within, within a Launch Pack. Mm. And so again, a teacher's got all of those needs catered for, so they know that when they go into this lesson, uh, they've got the resource that are available in terms of the ec- extracurricular information that they can mm. use to engage with the students. Mm. And the content there can cater for all different uh, learning levels, mm. again, learning abilities, and we have tools built within the software so if a student, for example, is struggling to, to, to read some of the content, they can either drop it down a level, yeah. and they can do this themselves, you know, they're not having to ask, they're not bringing attention to themselves with their peers, yeah. they, can, they can read at a different learning level, whether that's slightly lower or slightly higher, depending on their ability. Yeah. And again, there's things such as, again, if you're dyslexic and you're struggling to read a, a particular passage, uh, we will, it, you can highlight that and we'll read it out for you. Mm. So again, they can read and listen at the same time, right. And it's these tools that are built into it that make life easier, again, for, for the learner and get them more comfortable. Mm. The more comfortable they are, the more they're going to embrace what they're learning mm. uh, and, and, and look to engage with it. And again, from the teacher point of view, they know they're catering for all of those, all of those abilities, particularly when it comes to uh, any future Ofsted inspections. Mm.
0: Well, that, that's, that's brilliant. So, thank you so much, Jonathan. So, um, I won't bore the listener with um, the actual how the platform works. I mean, that's, I think it's more of a visual thing, but uh, I'll have a quick look at that um, in a moment. And um, thank you, Jonathan. I, I trusted everything that you said for many reasons. One of them is because you're wearing a white coat, uh, so, which is which is. Doctor
2: Sullivan for bet this week. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so, thank you so much. Thank you. let's have a reminder of Ron Cole. Ron Cole created Super Reading, which is made by Outsider Software. An innovation that he has developed that he stumbled across a few years ago (laughs) called Super Reading. So um, can we please welcome the inspirational Ron Cole?
3: Hi there, hi Pete, good to be with you.
0: Good to be with you, Ron. All right. So, firstly, I'm fascinated by how you stumbled across this this idea of um, super reading. But perhaps it's it's better to start with um, why everybody needs to know about super reading.
3: Well, it's a, a program uh, that I developed 25 years ago. In fact, uh, this March it'll be 25 years since its release, and we're um, celebrating by having a whole new website with a testing facility on it, whole testing suite. We're very excited about it because the whole thing can be paperless now. Mm -hmm. So the reason people should know about it is because no matter who you are, unless you're one of our graduates listening to this, your reading abilities at this moment are approximately 5% of your true learning potential. Mm -hmm. And that means whether you're dyslexic or you're one of the most gifted uh, students and learners on the planet, you're still reading and absorbing information at about 5% of what you're truly capable of.
0: Yeah, okay. So, um, what I mean, are you actually getting people towards 100% or is it just um, a lot better?
3: Well, um, it's a lot better. I'll, I'll give you some rough figures in 35 to 60 days or so, people can come up to somewhere between 25 and 40 percent of their potential, which means they've doubled, tripled, or quadrupled their incoming abilities as measured by our standardized reading tests, which are tough. We may talk about them. And then over the next uh, two to three, four months, uh, depending on the person, they can get upwards of 70 to 80% of their potential, which is like nothing anyone's ever seen. Um, I'm aware of things like photo reading and things of that nature. Uh, Most people who have done both or a number of different things believe that super reading is uh, sort of the best because it's real reading. Uh, You don't have to psych yourself up for 20 to 30 minutes to be able to absorb information it's pretty much instantaneous
0: yeah okay so firstly uh should we talk about kids with um i suppose learning difficulties Uh, so if you Mm -hmm. have dyslexia or something like that and you have a problem reading reading is a barrier for you and you feel slow and um you if you you don't like reading it makes you feel bad um how do you help kids with that or how can teachers help kids with that through super reading
3: well, it's it's the same uh, thing whether I do it or someone else does it. And P, let me say that super reading. All the yeah. tools are so simple and easy to learn. There's no rocket science at all. In fact, it's it's a bit amusing to me when teachers look. Sometimes they'll ask me for a lesson plan. Right? You know, what are all the tools? And they'll look at it, and uh, quite frankly, they don't look all that impressive. It's not till you actually experience the combination of these that uh, the magic happens. So with children or adults who are dyslexic, what's happening is we give them uh, three things really in general. One is good memory techniques and good solid reading skills and strategies. It's what we call our essential skills. But the thing that really makes the huge difference for everyone, including dyslexics, is our IHOP exercises. And IHOP, I'll explain briefly, Uh, back 25 and a half years ago when I started putting this together, someone told me that they heard that if you could read multiple words at a glance, pick up more than one word at a time, that that would be an advantage somehow. So working off that theory, I, I tried dozens of permutations and I finally came up with IHOP. So the way it works is imagine two columns of text. Now, normally, if you see two columns of text on a page, you're going to read down the left one, and then you're going to come back up and read down the right one. Well, that's not at all how IHOP works. You would have um, in the the two-word IHOP, which is where many people start, the first two words of an essay would be at the top of the left column, and then words three and four would be in the right column. Now, you drop back down to the left column, and you got words five and six, and then over to the right for seven and eight, and so on. So you're hopping back and forth physically from the left to the right, scooping up the words as if they were hyphenated. Mm. And what this does is it forces the brain to pick up multiple words at a time. When you've mastered the two-word and you're going really fast and your finger can't keep up with your brain anymore, then you move up to the three-word. And then when you've mastered that, you go to the four-word and then to the five-word i hop, which is five to eight words or so on each column and you're hopping about this fast hop 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 and what that does is it takes you past the barrier that's in everyone's head it's called the sub vocalization barrier most people can't read beyond about 300 words per minute without tremendous loss of comprehension Mm. ihop solves this and just like predictive text on your phone the more words you get at once with high comprehension all the way through, this is where dyslexics uh, see their greatest advances because there's so much information coming to the brain at once. It's as if it can figure out backwards S's and R's and things like that. There's enough context.
0: Fascinating. Absolutely. fascinating. I love listening to you, Ron. I really do and i think i'm interested in how long this takes of uh, this magic if you like so if i'm um if i'm an adult trying this out for the first time maybe i'm a university student or a postgraduate or something and um i just want to improve the speed at which i read um how long could it take for me for the subvocalization technique for the IHOP hop technique to really reap rewards
3: well i love that question because um there's a number of ways uh, to answer it. We used to think that originally when I put it together that you were looking at somewhere between four and six weeks with about 45 minutes of practice a day. But back in about 2015, 2014, uh, we did a, um, a group of uh, both students and adults, all dyslexic, at uh, the University of Greenwich and it was a four-day intensive, and at the end of the four days, they spent about half the time doing IHOP, the other half learning the essentials, and at the end of the four days, when they tested out, their test scores, by and large, at least 14 or 15 of them of the 16, were just about as good as what people see after weeks of practice.
4: Fascinating.
3: So So it's somewhere between, it depends on the person, 20 to 30 hours, typically, of IHOP practice, and you're there. Now, that said, after 15 or 16 hours, somewhere in that range, when you're sort of leaving the three-word and going into the four-word, you're already seeing great advantages in speed and comprehension. And let me just take the opportunity to say that Super reading is not, I repeat, not speed reading. We put comprehension first. Comprehension is king. Always comes first, whether you're uh, reading along or whether you're doing the IHOP. It's always done with comprehension in mind as the key. And then the speed comes along while maintaining the comprehension.
0: Yeah. So if I I was a a stressed out um, student like both of my children (laughs) and uh, revising for exams, would you recommend the IHOP technique to them as soon as they sit down, you know, that that moment when you sit down in front of an exam paper and you go, oh, my God, what what am I doing? Would you recommend uh, the IHOP technique for them to navigate their way around the exam paper?
3: Well, it depends on where they are in the program. If you graduated the program, IHOP is now sort of an option Uh, Along the way, uh, once we're in the three word IHOP and strong there, we introduce them to a technique called short stroke. And that's where, uh, let's see how to explain this without a graphic. When you're you're reading, uh, you're basically fixating on one word, getting the meaning and moving on to the next word and sort of like a movie that has frames in it. Uh, When we read, it seems like a smooth, fluid process. But if you could slow it down and break it down, you would see that we're fixating on one word at a time. Well, in the three word, you're fixating on three to five words at a time. So instead of starting at the left edge of the um, content, you're starting in a bit, like indenting uh, about an inch, about, what would that be, about three centimeters or so. And when you start there, you're picking up, say, the first three to five words. And then as you read across, you don't have to go physically to the end of the line to understand the whole line, because your window of reading is wider than it was two, three weeks before, or two days if you do it intensively. And so your your path across the page is thinner than it would have been before the course. So you get down the page faster. So you're reading faster. And then when you get up into the fast reading in the four word and certainly in the five word, you've broken the barrier. And now you can do what we call pattern reading, where you move in a sort of S shape down the page, scooping up the words as you go. And I got to tell you, when um, we've had law students praise this and uh, people say when they read novels this way with pattern reading, you're absorbing the information so quickly, it's almost like reading in real time. And uh, they've compared it to, I don't know, like, it feels so good. It's like finding money or eating pizza.
0: Mm. Okay. <laughs> yes, but you don't feel bad afterwards. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I IHOP uh, begets uh, short-stroke begets pattern reading and yes. then of course that your confidence is building all along the way because obviously to do the short stroke you've got to have established a, a bit of confidence and, and confidence uh, in the ihop technique in the first place haven't you
3: that's right and um uh, now a lot of people just love the ihop i mean we've got a special website you can go to where you can take any editable text you, you just um copy the text you go to the page, you paste it in the box, you choose the level you're on, or you're in three word, forward, whatever it is, and you hit the hopify button, and literally in one to two seconds, it converts that essay or that content into the ihop format for you. And then you're ready to go. So when people ask, and uh, this we've had that since uh, the year two thousand, and we're um, we're actually in the process of upgrading that. So it'll do Arabic and other things uh, as well. So it'll go in both directions. Um, That's hopefully coming in the next month. And uh, there'll be a couple other bells and whistles on it. Uh, But this answers the question when people say, well, how much extra time is the course going to take? Well, the only real extra time, since each tool takes two to three minutes to learn, and there's about 20 of them, uh, except for the time to grab the text and and paste it in and hit the button. You can take reading you were already committed to do, hopify it, and fulfill that hopify time that's mm. required to build the skills.
0: Excellent. Wow. Okay, so um, before we wrap it up, Ron, which, which uh, fills me with horror because I, I don't like wrapping things up with you because I enjoy <laughs> talking to you so much, but um, I'll be putting this out on social. I'll be putting a link on the um, on the, the podcast uh, for site as well. Um, but if you could just send me a link to make it easy for people to get started with uh, the IHOP and everything else, sure. uh, that would be really uh, cool.
3: Yeah, we have a, a great option for people. When you go to uh, www.superreading.com, and of course that'll be the link, if you hit uh, click at the top of the page where it says login, you get one free uh, reading test. Mm. Uh, you get uh, for your age group, you'll have ten in total, uh, which is kind of a luxury for us. We've always taught it with only six, so now we have ten tests in each of the four age groups, and you get the first one for free. Uh, you log in. You uh, choose your own username and passwords. Our database will remember you, but it's all encrypted, so you know there's we don't really know you personally um, on the database. Um, and then you can you can take one of our tests and see what that's like. And then when your results come up after you test, uh, it'll show you a graph of other people who are sort of like you. There's a little survey to fill out in the beginning, and that's also data protected. Um, You're just kept, like, in a group kind of thing. There's nothing individual. Um, And then it it will show you, so if you um, click in that you're dyslexic and you have a fear of exams and things like that, it'll show you similar results from people who uh, filled out the survey as close to uh, the way you did uh, as possible, and you can see what to expect. And then all you have to do is uh, purchase the course, and then we'll give you what we call an activation code. You put that in, and then that gives you um, access to the uh, lessons, the other nine tests, and your um, IHOP uh, Mm -hmm. websites.
0: Amazing. So at best, it'll change your life. At worst, it'll give you something to talk about with your friends, and people need something positive (laughs) to talk about at the moment, don't they?
3: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you, uh, Ron, an absolute pleasure as always. And we shall um, wrap that up for now. Uh, Please stay on the line just so I can uh, follow things up with you. But um, Ron Cole, everybody, and um, please uh, just give it a try. Honestly, the the, the examples on the website are, are fascinating and you'll learn something about yourself. I think that we always assume that we just read and we never really think about how we read and how we can improve that. So it's definitely worth a try. So thank you very much, Ron. And we shall speak soon.
3: My pleasure, Pete. Thanks.
0: Coming up next, it's Erin Hallingen. Erin is going to talk to us about why she writes children's books. Hello. So, to talk about creative writing, I'm with Erin Hallingen. Um, I am pronouncing that correctly, aren't I, Erin? Thank you. And she's going to talk to us about um, her children's book, um, which is The Fantastical Time Travel Tree. Yes, I got it right. Um, and I think it's a good place to start is some inspiration that she had today. Um, and I think that's a, a really nice story to tell because she's had a bit of an uh, epiphany, is the right word, um, about her lead character, about her protagonist. She's given her lead, lead character um, Ah, d- oh, okay, the second best character, best friend, okay. Um, you've given her a backstory, uh, which is um, a little disturbing, and might even take your children's story into darker territory, which may be a great thing. So are you okay to tell us about
3: that?
4: Yeah, um, I've been thinking about this character for a while, because she's not a normal girl, really. Um, so I was thinking, is she really, is she human? Is she part of the time travel tree, or what is she really? And I started thinking about this that this morning, and uh, came up with a backstory uh, that starts... I mean, this is a book series for children from seven to nine years old. Uh, I don't think this backstory is really uh, suitable for them. Uh, it starts with... Uh, there was a graveyard. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's a little kind of... Maybe sad, a little bit creepy maybe. Uh, hopefully kind of also nice and sweet, though. I don't want to say too much. About
0: it. So, it, without saying too much about it and giving it all away what uh, why do you think that the graveyard might be a little bit too much for um younger children
4: um it's uh, (laughs) it's just it's just how how this how this character was created uh which is i I think if i told little kids about that there might be some nightmares involved Mm. Uh,
0: (laughs) but don't don't kids love being scared don't you scare your kids when you're uh, telling them stories
4: All the time. (laughs) No, I I suppose it could work, really. I mean, uh, my oldest kid doesn't really get scared. Strange things sometimes scare kids. Yeah. I mean, my kid is, uh, he could watch Voldemort in Harry Potter and be totally fine with it. But he's terrified of the poster and the movie, obviously, for Incredibles. Yes.
0: (laughs) You never quite know what's going to scare them, what's inside the uh, the little heads, I suppose. Bless him.
4: It's strange that. So, uh, yeah, so we'll see about it. But I feel, I'm feeling like this backstory is kind of maybe something the parents might want to read, but not seven year olds, <laughs> maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah we, were, we were talking about this before, weren't we? That um, you know, on one hand, the, 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 in, in many ways, the skill with children's writing is to make it you know, appealing to adults and children at the same time.
4: Yeah, um, I I was trying to write something that would appeal to me, but also, obviously, to the kids, mainly to the kids. Um, Also, because I have a high learning potential son um, who is interested in history and science and a lot of things, I wanted to write a book that was generally for neurotypical kids, but uh, that high learning potential kids could also get more out of. So if you don't know, if you don't have these references... Uh, like if you don't know who Leonardo da Vinci is, for example, then um, you can still, you still, it doesn't really matter, you still get something out of the book. But if you do know, then it's, there's a little bit of more, a yeah. little bit of extra.
0: So, for example, your uh, book contains the longest word in the, uh, the English language?
4: Yes, it does. The, the longest non-technical word in the English language is phloxin <laughs> or sin I think.
0: <laughs> and what does that mean?
4: Uh, it means, uh, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> no, it means, uh, oh, I'll come back to you on that. I can't remember right now. It's, uh, I've, it's a while since I wrote that book, but it's, I do, I do kind of cut it up a bit. So the kids, I mean, my son can read it anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, just, just, a, just a few kind of challenges and unusual things. I'm trying to put into it. So, so
0: what's, uh, what's next then for this, uh, wonderful story that you've got, uh, cooking as, as it were um, not just in your head but uh, obviously you know um, on your hard drive as well uh, what's next are, are there any anything you can give away in terms of the the plot or what you're going to do with it or um, submitting it to publishers and so
4: on? well yeah I've got a few people reading it at the moment uh, giving me com- comments so um, I've had some really useful comments and made some extra edits uh, after I'm done with that uh, I'm going to send it out to agents uh which i'm a little anxious about but it's yeah um and uh obviously uh writing kitty books you got to be any book really you got to be prepared to be rejected and rejected and rejected again and again so uh but i'm intending to try and try and try and hopefully someone will take it on and if not i'll go straight to publishers and if that doesn't happen i'll try it's like american market australian market or yeah. or whatever and or, or you know self publishing but i would i would like to try the uh traditional publishing route if i can but you know we'll see yeah, yeah
0: um now d- 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 being from an acting background you're used to taking uh, feedback of course aren't you and, and taking direction um a, how, what kind of feedback have you had so far? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you about my experience, that's, because I've you know, written an academic book, if you like, in academic papers, um, they get peer reviewed. And sometimes they can be really, really scathing. They'll, you know, they'll say things like, this really didn't make sense. I, I, we, I will not, over my dead body, I will, I will publish it. Well, maybe not as strong as that, but uh, I will not publish this um, on my watch type thing. But um, what kind of feedback have, have people given you so far that you actually respect?
4: Uh, I think that sounds a lot harsher than what i've had <laughs> um I think uh to be honest it's been hugely positive I mean people I think would like to be positive if they can uh I think the challenge has been for kind of to get uh, to get constructive criticism other than i mean I've had a lot of I like this this is good, this is good, I like that, which is really useful, but uh I needed some. I needed to know what to change, what to, how to better it, and uh, I've been getting some of that now. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's very.
0: So, so what do people like? Um, I like how crazy it is. I like it how um, there don't, don't appear to be. Sorry, the rules of everything that you associate with uh, normal life are really bent out of shape. You know, the you know, normal rules don't apply, and it feels quite trippy as, as well. Um, which can work for kids. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're as old as I am, you were brought up on children's television programs that were completely insane. You know, the magic roundabouts and things like that, hallucinogenic even. Um, but what else have people said that specifically that they uh, like?
4: Well, people have said that it sounds like it's written on LSD, which I haven't ever done any drugs, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> but it's, uh, people have said that. People have said they like the quirky characters, Uh, The mischievous storyteller, the unpredictability, the, I suppose, the change, everything changes a lot. There are a lot of changes. Um, Yeah, the uh, pranking as well, people generally like, Uh, I suppose the fact that it's zany and unusual and quirky is generally what people have liked, I suppose, Mm. plus there is a, uh, people have been also searching for something in the book that turns out to be a prank. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> I fooled the few people there <laughs> that's cool yeah,
0: yeah, that's the, 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 yeah the narrator yeah. Um, good final question why do you write I think it's a fair question that everybody should ask themselves so in, in my case um, <clears throat> my answer feels quite pretentious um and I'll say it in a stupid voice, just just to reinforce that point that I write because I have to. No, just the, the, there's that urge that it it's just it just comes to you, and you can't stop it, uh, you can't suppress it if you like. Um, but w- what would you say to that? Like, why do you write?
4: Well, what you're saying about I write because I have to. I used to. I'm, I'm from an acting background. I used to act because I had to. I, I felt like that. Uh, with writing, it's more like ever since I was a kid, I've had people saying you should write kitty books. You should write kitty books. And uh, I wrote some when I was a kid, but I was a whole different (laughs) thing Uh, I think I've always kind of meant to but never kind of started doing it until I had little kids and I couldn't act and I couldn't do my art stuff so I think I just started doing it and the story just developed and I think it just feels like the story wants to be written and the characters want to be written it sounds crazy or pretentious or both, I'm not sure but it's. uh, I'm getting maybe more into what you're saying kind of thing it's 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 there and it it wants to be written in a sense yeah
0: do you think i mean this isn't a loaded question but do you think there's more honesty in in doing what you're doing um now writing children's books than than acting
4: well acting is just basically a bunch of lies (laughs) you just lie 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 everything yeah um yeah possibly uh i i think i think for me the 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 way the books are it's just kind of a constant stream of random things turning up and getting into the book so it's 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 like it's dreamlike i think i suppose so yeah
0: well thank you i've really enjoyed talking to you erin and uh we will uh, keep up with uh, what you're doing on on in the twitterverse and and elsewhere but um good luck and it's, it's all going very well so far Thanks, thank cheers erin that's the end of that for this week until next week please take care of you and yours and look forward to seeing you very soon take care see you later